Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I am going to be doing a lot of question answering this uh, in this week's show. And in fact, you have sent in questions and I'm going to welcome one of my finance uh, college finance experts colleagues to join me to answer them. But we know that you guys have questions. And so I really want to encourage you to send them in and you can send them to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. So again, it's gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. You could also always submit questions on our Facebook page. So if you don't follow us on Facebook, go ahead and do that. And you can put your questions there and let them let us know that you would love to have that question answered on uh, a future show, uh, a future getting in, and we'll do our best. Uh, the other thing I wanted to remind people is that our partnership, which I announced in the show that aired on September 6th, um, with Edmit is live. And so if you're interested in learning more about that, go to edmit.me forward slash college coach, and you will find more information about that partnership, which includes Edmit's great service, helping you figure out the value of some of the different colleges you might be considering, and also some really great support and insight and resources from College Coach. But before we get to all of that in your question specifically, um, For all of those seniors who are currently working on applications and all of those parents and students who are perhaps a little bit younger and not quite here yet, um, we wanted to talk about the top five mistakes that we see students making when it comes to this process. And joining me to discuss this is my colleague um, and who also happens to be a former uh, former admissions officer at Northeastern and Tufts. Uh, and actually was very recently in the Northeastern Admissions Office, so comes with that perspective of having just been doing this work. Um, Jen Simons. Hi, Jen. Hi, Beth. It's nice to speak with you. Oh, it's great to have you on the show. And um, we have a lot of people that I work with here at College Coach. We're all former either admissions officers or former financial aid officers. And um, some of us have been here for a while, and some of us join the team. We we usually are adding a few people to the team every year. And what is always exciting to me about people joining the team is just bringing that recent perspective of having been in admissions um, just so recently that it, it kind of adds to the knowledge and insight that we have. So I'm particularly excited to have you on the show for that reason today. But um, let's just dive right into uh, to kind of the top five mistakes that you and I have both seen, and we kind of connected on this before the show. But why don't we um, why don't we start with number one? What is the, the sort of first mistake that you see a lot of students making? Sure. So I think that um, 
the first mistake that I see a lot of students making is really not understanding why they're applying to the schools that they're applying to, um, either because they haven't done their research or because mom or dad said, oh, just try it, you know, why not? And um, to take that one step further, not making the connection between what the school has to offer and what they have to offer. And so, you know, many colleges will ask in the application supplement, why are you interested in us? And I think it's a good exercise to answer that question, even if it's not asked of you, even if you're just answering it in your head for your mm-hmm. own edification. If you can't get excited, um, it might be hard to get excited about applying uh, <laughs> during the application process, but maybe, so maybe that's the wrong word. But if you can't muster up some enthusiasm or at least some specificity um, around why a particular school is of interest to you, um, I think that is a clue that maybe you either need to do a little bit more research or you need to rethink about applying, you know, to that particular school. Admissions officers like myself until very recently were basically charged with traveling around the country or traveling around the world to promote, you know, a school and And they have students that are doing the same thing, and certainly um, their presence on social media has only increased. And so there is no limit to the ways in which you can find out about a particular school. And so you have to be able to go beyond the, well, I'm applying because it's the prestigious school, or I'm applying because I want to go to medical school, and I heard you have a good pre-med program. I was always surprised when I got really generic answers. And at the end of the day, you might not be able to come up with specific reasons off the top of your head, but if you dig into um, friends that you know, if you dig into websites, if you talk to admissions officers, and remember it's their job um, to talk to you or alumni, um, you should be able to really be able to articulate at least to yourself why you are applying to a particular school. I think that is so, so important, and I do think that we probably see this almost more than anything, that schools wind up on a list, and yet when the student claims to be really excited about the school and you dig a little bit more deeply, they can't really tell you why, what it is that's exciting about it. And I think, you know, for me, I will just use my own experience. Um, it's probably an indication of that I would ultimately end up doing work like this. Because, But I, that was how my mind went. When I went and looked at a school at the time, I sort of saw myself as a budding poet. Um, I can say now that I probably really wasn't all that good, but I really loved poetry and I liked writing it and I liked reading it. And um, so when I was looking at schools, I was looking at something that would always catch my eye is, did they have poets uh, on staff whose work I had read? Or if I saw who were sort of published poets, I would go and look at their work if I could find it in the library or in the bookstore or something. And so when I got asked that question in an interview, I was able to say, oh, well, and I like this and this. And also, I saw that you have, you know, Archie Ammons is on your staff. And how amazing would it be to take a class with someone like that? Um, And, you know, that's kind of, you, you may not be a poet. You may not have anything that you are so specifically excited about. But I bet if you do your research a little bit more, like you're suggesting, you will be able to articulate some things Um, and really feel confident that every school that's on your list belongs there. 
And I actually really think that this ties directly and very nicely into mistake number two that you and I have talked about. And uh, so, Jen, take it away. What do you what do we see as what do you see as mistake number two? Sure, I will. But actually, if I could just comment about your comment yes. very quickly first. I, if I don't read a poem that you've written, I'm going to be very sad. So you <laughs> opened yourself up now to my wanting to read your poetry um, okay. in high school or beyond. And then number two, what I love about what you said is not only the specificity of your response and naming a particular poet, but you got excited even talking about it. I think enthusiasm is difficult to fake. So Certainly students can go online and find the most obscure faculty members or departments or programs, but to have that connection is actually what you want to convey, that excitement about one particular thing or many things that the university or college offers, I think is really the key to to what I took out of what you just said. Um, yes, so the you. second thing that I would um, talk about is, um, actually, this came to me when I was talking to one of my college coach students about, actually, believe it or not, even though it's just a high school student, applying to medical school and what the campus culture was like on a specific university campus. Was it intense? Was it, you know, were people comparing? And it brought me back to my own high school experience where after a test was distributed in a classroom, everybody would say, what did you get on the test? What did you get on the test? Or after the SATs came back, you know, you would compare and contrast and everybody would sort of compare what schools they were applying to. And I think that's certainly only gotten worse um, in the many, many years since I've been out of school. So I think the second mistake is getting too caught up in what other students are doing, um, where they're getting in, where they're applying, um, what other people think about schools rather than what you think. Um, I think that, first of all, that pressure once you're in college just doesn't exist. You will never have a professor, um, at least in my experience and the experience that I know about for others, return, you know, a paper or exam and people sort of compare what they've gotten in any way other than just to sort of learn more about the process and understand more about the process. This is something that I feel is very specific um, to high school. So if you want to, you can step out of it even now as a high school student and really focus on you as an individual and not comparing yourself. And I think this is also really important if there are any parents listening, because I suspect it's even more challenging for parents not to do the comparing than it is for students sometimes. Absolutely. I have had parents um, who will say, you know, come in and be really happy with the students list of schools that they're planning to apply to. And then call me or show up at a a meeting in, you know, two weeks later and say, well, I was talking to a couple of other parents and their kids are applying to and then rattling off three or four schools that are generally very well known, very difficult to get into. And I always have to, you know, one of the ways I back it up is, you know, sort of back them off of that is to remind them anybody can apply anywhere and anyone can say your kids are applying somewhere that doesn't mean anything about how competitive they're going to be at those schools, whether or not they're going to get into those schools, whether or not, quite honestly, the kid has actually any intention of applying to those schools. Sometimes Uh it's just things that you say when, because you think that you need something more exciting maybe to talk about, or maybe that really is where their child is applying and that's exactly right for their child, but not exactly exactly right for yours. So I just think that's such great advice to just step out of it. Don't, 
you know, maybe don't talk to the other parents about it. Maybe don't get in those conversations. I would say that if a parent comes up to you and says, how did your child do on the SAT or the ACT? That is probably not a parent you want to be talking to through this process, because I can't even imagine asking someone how their child did on a test um, if it wasn't my job to do so. Right. So that just seems a little crazy to me. Um, All right. So so we've talked about kind of where you're applying and and the big mistakes you can make on on those two fronts. Um, What's the next big mistake that you see? So in the actual process of applying, when a student starts to write their essays, um, I well, let me back up and say that as an admissions officer, I read at at least 20 to 30 essays every day during reading season. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, even a new admissions officer who's just started at this job will be in their first week of admissions reading and will have read hundreds of essays already. And you can quickly sort of decipher what feels like a student's voice versus a parent's voice versus an overly coached voice. And, you know, that's something you'll never find with us at College Coach because (laughs) we know how important it is to let the students really, you know, sort of let their own voices shine. However, what I've noticed actually um, since being on this side is that a lot of students feel that they have to use what I call the essay voice or the formal voice. And instead of saying things simply, as you would say them in conversation, they say them in a very, sometimes it's pompous, but it it isn't usually, it's just a very sort of formal way of saying it. Now, Mm -hmm. I just said sort of. You would not say that in an essay, obviously. So, you know, there is, you don't want to write exactly as you speak, speak, excuse me. However, you, you also don't want to write like you're an Elizabethan poet in the most <laughs> sort of stupid, you know, formal way. And so there is really, even when a student is writing their own work, they have to be careful. You're writing for a human being. You are a human being. You're an 18-year-old, 17-year-old. And so this should sound, it, it doesn't have to sound like the greatest work of prose. You know, you're not a journalist for the New York Times. Being your own self is the best way to go. Yes, yes, yes. And I don't know that I could underscore that enough. Um, I The convoluted syntax sometimes that I see, the silly, silly if it's not, if they're not using a thesaurus, it certainly reads like they're using a thesaurus or even something as simple. And I'd be curious to get your take on this, Jen, but even something as simple as contractions. I know that a lot of times English teachers will hammer it into a student's head that no contractions in formal writing, but it it really adds a stilted feel to a piece of writing. If you are actively avoiding contractions, if it's something where you would typically say can't or won't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say cannot or will not instead, because it automatically is going to kind of pop me right out of the piece and make me think, oh, right, this is a piece of writing in quotes that I'm mm-hmm. reading. No, a hundred, a hundred percent. And I also, this, I mean, every rule is made to be broken, but sometimes what I'll write in a student's essay is don't use four words, but you could use one word. And, yes. you know, just if you can use one or two words to say what you're saying, it doesn't need to be a long phrase or, you know, multiple adjectives. I mean, sometimes you want that, but sometimes you just, that clean writing is going to be so refreshing to someone. Remember, they're reading lots and lots of essays, so you want it to be crisp and clean and not bogged down. 
Right. Absolutely. And so going along with that, are there some other things um, that we see in kind of our fourth big mistake? Uh, and it's often related to writing. Maybe it's related to essays. Maybe it's related to filling out the applications. Um, so what's that that piece that you see a lot of? So this sounds like such a rookie mistake, and I wasn't even going to mention it, except that I saw it so frequently, and that is not looking over your own work with a fine-tooth comb for mistakes, uh, spelling mistakes that might not actually be um, caught by spell check because the word is spelled correctly, but it's not the right words that you want. Or, for example, mm-hmm. when I worked at Tufts University, I can't tell you how many students um, would write capital T-U-F-T apostrophe S. There's no mm. such thing as T-U-F-T apostrophe S. That's, that's just not. So really making sure that you are cautious with the spelling. And then also, you know, cutting and pasting. You, you don't have to write a brand new essay, you know, except for what we started off by saying with the why us you know, essay that has to be specific to that school. But some of your ideas, some of your goals, I mean, it's, you're, you're just one person. Mm-hmm. You're going to replicate and duplicate. When you cut and paste, please be careful not to use another school's name. You know, really yep. customize it to the extent that you can um, for that for that college that you're writing for. It's, it's, so, it's such an easy thing to fix, but it's so often overlooked. Also, fonts. I know this is a big thing in emails when uh, student emails multiple admissions officers the same question sometimes they you know they cut and paste and and it winds up being in three different fonts and I mean it's not this is not an application issue per se but just to be um again that sort of clean you want to be careful you want to be clean you want to look everything over and just make sure that it is perfect before you send it out. Yeah, and one really f- funny is aside that I'll share, and then I I want to get us to the last one before we run out of time. But there's a story that we used to tell when I did my info sessions at Penn, um, and they may still indeed tell this because those stories get handed down. But um, a student applying to the Wharton School of Business, and um, in that Why Penn essay, it was all about the interest in Wharton and in business in particular, and the student misspelled business um, in such a way that uh. spell checks changed it to bunnies. And so because the ah. student didn't actually reread the essay, the entire thing was about his interest in the Wharton School of Bunnies and looking forward to studying bunnies. So I love that what you're saying, just because it changes to a corrected spelling does not mean it is the word that you want there. So very important. Um, but really quickly, I want to get to our last um, big mistake that we see people making, and actually it probably is fitting that we're, we're getting to this just at the very end when we're running <laughs> out of time. <laughs> yeah, so I would not wait. I mean, that's why college coaches here. That's why we exist. But even if you're, if you're just listening to the podcast, waiting until the last minute and missing deadlines is just, you just don't want to do that to yourself. Some students say, oh, but I work better under pressure this is not that time. This is really a time to write everything out, write out all your deadlines, sit with a big old-fashioned paper calendar, a big one, and plot everything out so you can actually see the amount of time that you have um, to, to do things. And 
don't wait until the last minute because if yes. you're doing it correctly, senior year should be the busiest year you've had so far in high school. You should be super involved. You should be busy with your classes. You should also try to have some time for fun and friends. And the college process is just this whole extra layer. So don't assume that you have a full weekend free to do something because you're going to get an assignment for a class or something else is going to come up or you're going to get sick or something. So really, I can't tell you how many kids literally wait until the day that applications are due um, to press send. And it used to be in the olden days, we didn't want to open all that mail at the last minute. So there's not the same feeling of, okay, we have to wait for the U.S. Postal Service. But you don't want your application to be in the queue with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of others um, at the last minute. If it can be submitted before the deadline, do it and give yourself a break. Enjoy, take a breath and just feel good about having done it. Right. Absolutely. And if you're throwing it together at the last minute, it almost always shows. So um, I think that yeah, is that's true. Excellent, Absolutely. excellent advice. Jen, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. It's a, always a pleasure to speak with you, Beth. Thank you. All right. Uh, so stay tuned. We are going to be answering your college admissions and college finance questions when we return. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. 
To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. I am very excited to welcome one of my frequent collaborator, collaborators with uh, our listener questions and answers, Kathy Ruby, who is a former financial aid officer at St. Olaf. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. All right. You survived the, the state fair in, in uh, Minnesota, yes? Yes. That sounded more very than exciting. Survive. <laughs> I think I need to come visit and do that, um, have that experience <laughs> someday. It's an All right. experience. All right. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Let's jump right in with questions. And I'm going to start with one for you. And this one comes to us from Nancy, who says, um, my son, wait a second. Does that one come to us from Nancy? Or am I in the right mm-hmm. financial? Yeah, it does. Who says yeah, my there. son has graduated from high school this year? I thought it was an admissions question, but I guess it's not. And going to college this fall. I went to the FAFSA website. See, I got confused. FAFSA website. And I saw that it's available to fill out. He's applying to colleges. So can I go ahead and fill it out now? Meaning, can I fill out the FAFSA now? Yes. Oh, well, and the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> so that the so the question is, and it is confusing. So for parents right now, whose kids are in the process of starting to apply to colleges for next fall, for the fall of 2019, if you go to the FAFSA website, which is fafsa.ed.gov, you will see a FAFSA out there, and it's the 2018-19 FAFSA. So some people might think, oh, I should fill that out. We're in the 2018-19 school year. But actually, you fill out the FAFSA for the school year that your child will be attending college. And so you actually need to wait for the 1920 FAFSA form to become available. And lucky for you, it's going to be available on October 1st, so just a few weeks from now. Um, But but it can be confusing because at any given point in time, sometimes there are two years' worth of FAFSAs out on their website. Uh, The one you need to fill out is the one for the year that you'll be attending college. All right. So you got to look for that one when it pops up. Yes. All right. What do you got for me? All right. I have a question for you. I have a question from Christy. This is kind of a complicated one, but so here we go. Many times on your show, guest advisors have mentioned the two most important items college recruiters are looking for are one, rigor in the curriculum, and two, high grades. AP, IB, honors classes are mentioned. My children attend a school that offers a rigorous classical curriculum. It's a charter school, and it doesn't follow Common Core. So I know there are homeschoolers and private schools who follow a very similar classical curriculum. So I would like to know the general impression or regard a college recruiter has for this curriculum. And then along those lines, if you had a student coming from a traditional public school who had a certain GPA and ACT and SAT scores that were equal to another student coming out of a classical curriculum, all else being equal, including extracurricular in the essay, how would the classical curriculum be regarded? Okay, so there are a few different things being asked here. All I can just say to get started is it's never all things being equal. It doesn't, you're never comparing (laughs) one to one. Um, And so that part of the question is a little bit, um, you know, 
But let me back up. So I think the most important thing to keep in mind here is that colleges work with whatever is available to the student at his or her school. And so they are used to seeing, yes, maybe most commonly they see college prep, honors, AP, maybe the International Baccalaureate or IB program. But there are other options out there that colleges will also see, things like a classical curriculum. Um, I believe there's the Cambridge curriculum that's out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you read students internationally, you will see the French baccalaureate. uh, You'll see A-levels. There's so many different ways and systems that are in use. And the more global we become, the more you see those popping up, even here in the U.S. So I think the most important thing to pay attention to here is that whatever your school offers, the colleges are going to look at that and be, you know, if they are looking, if this particular college is looking for the most selective or the most rigorous curriculum available, they will determine what your school considers the most rigorous curriculum available and expect to see that student in that curriculum. There are many schools that do not expect to see the most rigorous curriculum available. um, And so they will work with whatever you're doing. So it's every school has a profile that goes out along with the student's transcript. And the profile generally helps to explain what was available to the student. So I would want to take a look at the school's profile, the charter school's profile, to see how they're describing the curriculum and make sure that, in your opinion, it sort of lines up with what the student is actually taking. But um, I can't think of a college out there that wouldn't think a classical education is wonderful. They know that they will most likely be seeing students taking Latin or Greek or both, um, rather than perhaps Spanish or French or German or a more contemporary language. Not a problem. I actually had someone ask me the other day, is it a problem if my daughter's taking language because it's not a spoken language? Uh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In short, no. Uh, there, you know, they, this colleges don't value a spoken language over a, a language that is no longer spoken. Um They just want to see students getting broadly educated. So one of the big things that you look for is that the student is in math, science, English, history, and foreign language. And those should all be part of a classical curriculum. The approach may be Mm -hmm. slightly different. You know, the, the calculus might be classically based versus it might be studied in a slightly different way than you might study it in another school's program, but it's still calculus and you're still taking math and that's still an expectation that they would have. Maybe you're going to read a few more primary texts. Uh, also good. I, there would never yeah. be a problem. <laughs> um, and I don't want to say that it would be better than those other curriculums. It just is its own thing and certainly is recognized as very valid Um, way to go through school. Uh, And to get back to the thing that I commented on originally, you're, it's not, you're not saying, oh, well, we have these two last kids we can admit. One has taken a more traditional AP level course, and this one has done classical, um, and their test scores are exactly the same, and they're just as, um, you know, sort of equally accomplished outside of the classroom, and they both wrote great essays. Which one do you take? It just, doesn't ever come down. It is just done. I don't know. I, I, it's so difficult to explain, but it's just not done that way. You just, it never mm-hmm. comes down to two students and you're choosing classical over traditional. You're looking at each application for what it offers. And you're, um, you're looking at 
how the student is presenting him or herself in the application and whether or not the application presents a compelling portrait or not. And while academics are surely the most important piece, you know, how you're doing, it isn't about, oh, well, this person did a classical curriculum and this person did an IB program and this person did an AP, mostly AP Mm -hmm. curriculum. It, It just, it, it doesn't really work that way. So my bottom line is, do the if you're happy with that school and your kids are enjoying the classical curriculum, that's where I would stay. And if they're not happy, then you maybe look at another option, but only because of that. All right, great. Uh, all right, and I enjoy have Greek and Latin, right? Yes, exactly. Enjoy <laughs> Greek and Latin, Greek and Latin, and primary texts and all that good stuff. Um, Celia is asking, what documents do I need available to complete the financial aid forms? All right. Tis the season, right? Everybody's starting to think about doing these financial aid forms. So uh, I think the first thing, she's got the right idea, which is it is a good idea to to gather your documents before you sit down to do the forms uh, so that you're organized, you're not racing around, scrambling, looking for information while you're in the middle of completing the form. That'll just help with your stress level. Uh, Mm -hmm. So for the FAFSA form, which is what Everybody, you know, all schools require the FAFSA in order for you to be considered for federal aid, and most schools use it to uh, to look at you for institutional aid. So for the FAFSA, believe it or not, it's actually fairly straightforward. So you'll be asked for the 2019-20 form. You'll be asked to report 2017 income, and the the FAFSA actually has a way that you can pull the data directly from the IRS but it's still a good idea to have a copy of your tax return sitting next to you because there are a couple questions you'll be asked about your wages and about uh, untaxed income that you'll need your W-2s to figure out. So it's a good idea to have your taxes next to you. Um, And then the FAFSA will also ask you about your savings and investments and other assets, but they'll actually tell you to, uh, to not report your primary residence or your retirement accounts. So if you're only completing the FAFSA, you actually don't have to worry about getting statements for your retirement accounts or figuring out what your house is worth. Um, you just need to have information about all of your other savings and investments and an idea of what they are worth as of the day that you're completing the FAFSA. So to have those kinds of documents is a good idea. The other uh, pieces of information you'll need, and it's a good idea to have the documents next to you, will be your child's social security number. So don't try to remember that. Don't try to do that from memory. <laughs> because if you mess it up, yeah, have it. It's a mess. You know, be looking at it. Yes. Either be looking yes. at your tax return that has their social security number on it or have the social security card right there. Uh, the FAFSA will also ask for your student's driver's license number, if I'm remembering correctly. So that's not a bad idea to have there as well. Um, now, if you're lucky enough to be able to, to be required to fill out the CSS profile, which is required by about 200, mostly more selective private colleges, uh, you will need to have information about your home, including when you bought it, what it's worth now, and how much you owe against it. Uh, the CSS profile also does ask for information about your retirement assets. So they don't count them, but they do ask you to report what you have in your 401k or 403b or whatever retirement accounts you might have, IRAs, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So really just you want, you want to make sure you're reporting accurate information. Um, so gather some documents, sit down and get going, but not until after October 1st. All right. 
good advice. What do you have for me? All right. The next question, wait a minute, sorry, I'm, here we go. Benoit asks, how many AP courses does my student need to take during high school? Uh, Well, I think, I hope we talk about this a lot, but there is sort of no, there's no magic number. There's no magic anything. (laughs) I wish there was. (laughs) I wish there was a magic bullet and I could say, do this, 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 and this, and you will be guaranteed to get into your college of choice. In fact, that is not um, a thing. So the fact is that um, it really depends. There are colleges who don't expect to see any APs. There are students who don't have access to any APs. We just talked about the whole classical curriculum or the IB program. So it could be zero. Uh, It could be that if your student attends a school where they do offer APs, but they only offer two, and both of them are in different foreign languages, that One might be appropriate if your student reaches the AP level in the foreign language that he or she is taking. If your student goes to a school that offers 20 APs and your student is looking at some of the most selective schools in the country, I think a good rule of thumb would be to go to the AP level in all five major subject areas by the time you graduate. So math, science, English, history, and foreign language. And while we do Mm -hmm. sometimes see students doing APs in junior year, For example, it's very common to see AP U.S. history in junior year at the very selective level. Uh, Sometimes students won't get to any APs until they're seniors. Sometimes they will be doing APs as early as freshman year if the school offers, for example, AP world history. That would be one that I sometimes see in freshman year. I'd say it's very rare to see a student doing APs freshman year. Uh, And I would above all else, encourage you not to be focused on the number, but instead to be focused on what makes sense for your child. So if it makes sense for them to be doing APs as early as freshman year, great. But if they're only doing them because you're trying to achieve a number that you have in your head, that's really the wrong idea. It usually goes wrong. It goes bad. They don't necessarily do very well. Uh, or they look like all they did was spend their time trying to take APs. And for whatever reason, that tends to just not be super appealing because it it speaks more to kind of you're gathering accolades rather than actually focusing on learning. So the answer is it really depends. So (laughs) um, all right. I am uh, thinking that we have time for one quick question before we go to break. So, Kathy, um, how about Rebecca? I would say, yeah. All right. Rebecca asks, I want to save in a 529 because I like the tax break, but if my daughter doesn't use all of it, will I lose the balance? Okay. Good question. So saving in a 529 is a good way to save, but, um, and the tax break is just to be clear, you're, you're contributing post-tax dollars but the tax break is that the earnings are tax-free, uh, meaning the growth is tax-free as long as you use the money for eligible education expenses, which is for the beneficiary, which is essentially required tuition and fees, required books and supplies, room and board, as long as the student's at least half time, you can use it for a computer. So if your daughter doesn't use all of it, will you lose the balance? And the answer is no, you won't lose the balance. What determines your balance, the only way you can lose your balance is if your investment fails, right? Mm-hmm. So 529 mm-hmm. investment plans or savings plans are just investments. You're investing in mutual funds and in the stock market. So 
you can lose your balance if your investment disappears, if you lose your principal. Um, but if, you, if she doesn't use all of it, um, you can certainly withdraw what's left. And if you're going to withdraw it and not spend it on education, then you'll have to pay ordinary income tax and a 10% penalty, but just on the earnings portion of what's left. Because remember, mm. what you put in was post-tax. The other option you have is that you can change the beneficiary to any immediate family member of your daughter. So that means a sibling, her spouse, your daughter's spouse someday, uh, your daughter's child. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can also change it to a cousin. So you have lots of options there. But no, you shouldn't lose the balance. The only way you lose the balance is if your investment doesn't work. Fails. All right. Uh, That was a good note to end on. We are going to be right back with more questions. So just stay put through a short break. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We're going to jump right into your questions. So, Kathy, I think you have one for me. I do. Lindsay is asking, I'm undecided as to my major. Is that a problem? How should that impact how I choose my college? 
Really good question, Lindsay, because I do feel like I talk to a lot of 17 and 18 year olds who feel like they need to know what they want to study for the next four years. And yet the same 17 and 18 year olds don't usually know that, right? That is just something that a lot of us are um, still trying to figure out. I don't know. I'm not a 17 or 18 and (laughs) I am still thinking there might be something else I do with my life. Um, I, some people feel very comfortable selecting a general area and a major within that area, but for other students, they really are undecided. Uh, I would say, first of all, that's totally fine. It is fine to be undecided. Colleges embrace that. Whether or not your parents embrace that and how they feel about you going off to college without a clue as to what you want to study, well, that's a whole other question. However, from a college perspective, where you usually have uh, distribution requirements and, and different courses that students are going to be required to take. What's nice about a student who's undecided is that they hopefully will embrace that a little bit more than maybe a student who is super focused and knows exactly what they want to study and only wants to study those things. So that's, I really used to see that as a positive when I was reading applications. I did want to have Mm -hmm. some indication um, because at Penn we did ask, you know, sort of why Penn. And so I would look into that essay for some insight into a couple of areas of academic focus that the student was interested in exploring further. I did want to see evidence of academic interest, but I did see it as being totally fine if the student was undecided. But what's, so A, it's fine to apply as undecided. B, you did ask, how do you, how does that impact how you choose your college? And that is a really great question. And what I would say is you want to make sure you're looking for colleges that have a variety of options. If you are not sure you want to major in pharmacy, please, for the love of God, don't go to a pharmacy college because if you decide (laughs) you don't want to major in that, well, now you have to transfer out of that college. What you could do is apply to a pharmacy program within a larger university, whereby if you decide, oh, I really didn't like chemistry all that much and I don't think this pharmacy thing is for me, well, now all you need to do is transfer within the college to a different major and rather than having to go through the whole application process again. So you want to look for schools mm-hmm. that have a variety of options. As I mentioned, it's nice to know at least two or three things that you might want to study. And so you should, of course, look for schools that have departments in those areas and ideally a lot of coursework in those areas so that you have the space to explore a bit further. Um, But those are probably the big things that I would be looking at is making sure the school has options and making sure that they particularly have options in areas that you already suspect you have an interest. All right, Kathy. Uh, Let's see what we have for you here. Hold on. Um, Renetta is asking, should we divide the 529 out over four years or spend it down in the first year or two? Really good question. I think I know this one. Yes, that's a very good question. And we get that pretty frequently. So I'm assuming what's happening here is they've saved enough uh, for a couple of years, but they they don't have the whole thing covered. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, uh, and, and the idea here is the premise is that if you haven't saved enough that you're going to have to borrow what you don't have covered. And so just to, to lay out the, the rules here, um, whether, you borrow in, whether you borrow in the first year or you borrow in the fourth year, if you take the full 10-year repayment or whatever it is, it will cost the same whether you do it in the first year or the fourth year <clears throat> unless interest rates go up. So that is one thing to consider. 
Does it look like interest rates will be higher when you want to borrow in later years, or will they be lower? What do you think of that? But in terms of, um, you know, spending up front or spreading it out, families have different preferences. Um, You know, certainly the things you want to consider are you want to spend the 529. You don't want money left over, right, because it was saved for college and those earnings are tax-free if it's used for college. So some people want to just get rid of it right up front so that they know they got it spent and they got that tax benefit. Um, uh, so that's, that's one thing to consider. Another thing to look at would be whether your state has an income tax, a state income tax deduction for contributions to a 529. So we talked to many families who actually continue to contribute to the 529 plan throughout their child's college years because then they just turn around and withdraw it again. Um, so, you know, that's something to look at as well if your state offers a state income tax deduction because you don't wanna, you want to you wanna be getting that deduction if you can. Right. So uh, those are the main things to consider, really. Um, and then simply, what do you think the invest? I mean, you probably don't have it invested in anything very risky, so there's probably not a huge rate of return that you're going to get over the four years, but that's something to consider as well. In terms of financial aid eligibility, parent assets are not assessed in a big way in the formula. So some families think that spending down the 529 plan will then cause their eligibility to go way up and they'll get a bunch of money from the college. That usually doesn't happen, actually, because parent-owned assets are assessed pretty lightly in the formula. So... I'm curious if you could, if the reverse could happen. So if you used your 529 funds all up in the first year, would that affect financial aid eligibility negatively for the next year? Because suddenly you had all this extra money added to your income, or does it not happen that way? No, it won't happen that way. Because if it was a qualified withdrawal when you make it, uh, it doesn't Mm -hmm. show up on your income anywhere. So withdrawals from a, it's a good question. Withdrawals from a 529 plan do not affect your income. All they do is the next year when you're completing the financial aid forms, you'll Mm -hmm. report a lower amount of assets because you've spent some of the 529. But that's a good question because people do think sometimes that the 529 plan, when you take money out, it increases your income. It does not. Got it. And one more thing about that 529 plan, people worry that if they save in a 529 plan, the college knows, oh, they saved in a 529 plan. They actually don't because you lump your 529 plan in with all of your other investments. It's one question on the FAFSA and the CSS profile. It just says, what are your investments? It doesn't distinguish between 529 plans and other investments. So, All right. Good to know. Good to know. All right, I think I've got one for you, and that's probably what we're going to have. And this is actually two questions combined into one. Scott is asking, if we're just starting to visit colleges, should we just explore the campus on our own or sign up for the official admissions tour? And when we visit, how important is it to do the information session? Good question. Um, We have in the archives done a few shows about college visits, so I certainly would encourage people to uh, visit the archives, which are now quite big. We have so many shows that we've done weekly over the years now, but there is some good information there on visits. So if you search for college visits, you should find some relevant um, episodes there to listen to. But I would say when you're thinking about visiting colleges, you do want to plan in advance. Um, it can be fine to explore the comp- the campus on your own. However, for any school that is tracking demonstrated interest, 
they love to see visits. And if you just go to the campus and you explore it on your own, then you're not going to necessarily get credit for that visit. So you want to go on each individual college's website. You want to look at what they offer to visitors. Do they have information sessions? Do they do tours? Um, Do they have something you could download to do a walking tour yourself? Kind of what are the options? A lot of colleges, if you visit during certain times of the year, you can sit in on a class. Uh, There are a lot of other things that you could do, like walk around on your own. Even if you do do the tour and information session, you can eat in a dining hall. You can go to the student center, look at everything that's being advertised on the bulletin boards from rides to different cities uh, to clubs and organizations and their upcoming events that they have. So I would definitely encourage you, if your child is sort of looking around saying, yeah, I like what I see here, to to dig a little little bit more deeply. But I definitely Mm -hmm. encourage doing the information session and probably more so the information session than the tour. Uh, I think the tour can be nice. I also think you can kind of do the tour on your own if you are, you know, a lot of schools don't necessarily even take you into a dorm. Maybe they show you some of the buildings and you'll learn some more unique facts about the school. But I, I don't know that there's a substitute for walking around and peeking into the different corners that maybe a school wouldn't be showing you. Uh, also, (laughs) or instead of the more organized tour. But the information session is where you're usually going to get some really good factual information. And it's usually going to be delivered by an actual employee of the admissions office versus a student volunteer. Not always, but most of the time. So for that reason, I do really like uh, doing the formal information session if you can. Um, and like I said, just, you know, see what else you can do and and um, do research in advance. Uh, the other big thing is that a lot of times schools will want you to sign up in advance before you show up on campus. So it's really important to, to take care of that planning in advance uh, so that you know that the school is going to be open, that they actually are going to have info sessions that day, that if they aren't having tours, that you can download the self-guided tour or learn about the app that you can um, download on your phone, all of those different things. <laughs> Kathy, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it, as always. Happy to be here. All right. Well, I want to uh, also extend my thanks to Jen. Uh, I think those were some great tips that she had to share with us. Uh, Next week, I am back. I'm very excited. I'll be hosting a couple of weeks in a row here. We're going to be talking about early action, how to really understand what that means, what advantages it may or may not offer you, uh, and whether or not it's the right thing for you. Um, We're also going to go inside the Northeastern Financial Aid Office. We're going to see it from the perspective of someone who used to work there. And in office hours, we're going to be talking about supplements for Emory and Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech is particularly important because their early action deadline, should you choose to apply early action, is actually October 15th. So it's coming up pretty fast and furious. Um, I mentioned at the very beginning of the show that we want your questions. Uh, We're actually starting to get through our list of questions. So we need more. Send them, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com or submit them on Facebook. Uh, And don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.